take your Bibles and turn to Acts 27. So we talk about the mission of must, and this is, uh, we're doing Jesus um, in John's Gospel on Sunday mornings, and the times I have on Wednesday night, we're doing Paul and Jesus and Paul and Luke Acts. We did Jesus last week with Zacchaeus. There's so much on Paul's life, and both of these on the area of must. If you look up the word must in Luke and Acts, you'll know it comes out to be about 40 times. So it's a very prevalent theme. Um, I'm going to briefly just run right through it, overview, but it's worthy of a major study if you're looking for something. Look up and and try to put Luke and Acts, written by the same author, of course, uh, side by side as far as the mission of must for Jesus in Luke and the mission of must for Paul in Acts. And you'll come away with this, that Jesus and Paul live parallel lives. By parallel lives, I mean patterned parallels, not perfect. Obviously, the mission of must that Jesus had is one of a kind. Um, he, his was a redemptive must in the sense that he came to die for our sins. Obviously, no one else could have accomplished that or been on a mission as such. Paul's is unique as well, but not in the same way. Um, But I would tell you tonight that I think that Jesus and Paul and their mission of must are very parallel. And the reason is, is because Jesus was the perfect mission of must. Paul was a paralleled or patterned one. And you and I are supposed to do that in our lives. Paul being the human example of what it means to pattern our mission of must after Jesus. So as you study Paul's life, and Jesus is together actually in Luke Acts, you're going to find a pattern to follow and to see some of the things that marked their missions of must and see if it marks yours. I'm going to just run down them very quickly tonight, and these are certainly not, this is certainly not an exhaustive list. It's just an example list, and then we're going to look at one part of it, that's all. So if you look at Jesus and Luke and Paul and Acts and both of their missions of must, you'll find here's some commonalities. One, both... Um, are Jewish men who reach out to Jews and Gentiles to varying degrees. Both follow the word must is absolutely a theme that is crucial to define the ministry for which God sent them to. Both musts for both of them included predicted and prophesied sufferings. It was absolutely a must, and that's the word used, for Jesus to die, to be flogged, to be beaten, to be crucified, to be raised, Sufferings were a must from the very day that Paul got saved in Acts 9 and verse 16 and forward. So that was definitely part of it for both of them. Both of them were killed by Romans after having a trial. Both of them have what I call travel narratives, meaning the last part of their lives are their last journey and all the events recorded on it to their final destination. Jesus' journey, and if it's Luke, it's chapter 9 through 19. That's called the travel narrative, and it has all those stories in it in between, including Zacchaeus that we focused on last week. Jesus' final destiny that was the ultimate climax of his mission of must was Jerusalem. If you read the book of Acts, you'll find that all the last chapters leading up to there, Paul's final destination was Rome. Um, So one is to Jewish people mainly, and one is to Gentile. And both of them fit together to accomplish what God wants. Both of them have that the same in common. Both of them were denied by close friends at the end of their lives and were forsaken by them. Both were chosen by God and had to fulfill the mission of God by dying. 
So there's a lot of similarities. Those are just some of the main ones. But I just wanted to whet your appetite tonight to get you to think that, hey, I want to study the mission of must and Jesus. You can do it in all the Gospels, but the best two are John, which we're doing Sunday mornings, and Luke in particular. And if you want to parallel and put the pattern of Jesus next to Paul, you'll find that there are a lot of similarities as you go through the list of must in both of those books. Um, My big idea tonight is, if you want to write it on your paper, and then I'm going to show you what it means, the mission of must is unstoppable. And I think that's absolutely crucial. And I want to show you that. In Je- I, I could show you in Jesus' life because it's the same. But I want to show you in Paul's life. And I want to show you from a very uh, unique story, one that may not be as familiar to you as a lot of other ones that are part and parcel of Paul's missionary career. But we're going to take a look at it. Um, why it's important to say it's unstoppable? Because um, in Jesus and Paul's life, uh, their missions matched. So I would say not only is Paul being a copy of the original, which is Jesus, and that's important for the mission of the world, but it's also important for you and I to figure out what our mission of must must look like or should look like. So the goal of your life, let me say it to you clearly, is like for Paul, is to get your mission that you're on to be as closely matched to Jesus's mission of must as possible. And I believe that there has been no Christian in the world that has ever done it as well as Paul. Um, He had a unique mission, and he is about as close to being on the mission of must that Jesus was on as possible. You and I aren't going to be on that level in that sense. Not that it's a comparison because it's not a competition, but it's unstoppable. And the reason it was unstoppable because it matched. Paul's matched Jesus. And I would say to you, if you haven't considered it, I would like you to tonight— is to consider seeking how the rest of your life that you could get yours to match Jesus's more and more every day. So I want to I show you how to do that in a number of different ways. So I want to show you a couple of groundwork things before we get started in, in the actual text. And so let me show you what the mission of must means and why it's unstoppable. So if you have your finger in Acts chapter 27, hold it there a little bit. And turn back a few chapters to chapter 22. Paul told his testimony about the Damascus Road conversion three places in this book. Chapter 9, the one we're looking at, chapter 22, and also in chapter 26. They all have things that the other ones don't. So to read all of them gives you a fuller picture of all that was done and said on that day on the Damascus Road. I want to show you one because in Acts chapter 9 is the one that we get that has the mission of must on it. Don't, you can just listen to me, listen to me read it. He says to him in chapter uh, 9 verse 5, he said, who are you, Lord? This is Saul. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. All right. Now, he says it again in chapter 9 and over in verse 16. God, Lord Jesus, tells Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The very beginning... Um, he had mu- it was a must that Paul had to be a missionary and do the things that God had. This was his mission from the very, literally, moments he was a believer. All right? 
But the verse says, I will tell him or show him the things he must do. Okay? Now, Paul's going to tell us the same story, but he's going to change one word, and it's going to help us. Chapter 22 and verse 10. This is the same part of the story I just read you, but the wording's going to be different. Ready? Verse 10, 22:10, and I said, "What shall I do, Lord?" And the Lord said to me, "Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you must do." No. What's the word? Yeah, all that is appointed for you to do. The word appointed means to put in order. It means to arrange. It means to designate. It means to give someone an assignment. It's actually often used as a military term term to put things in order for a battle. So what have we learned? The mission of must is something that you are appointed for. It's your assignment. It's your mission. It's, can I say it this way? We sang about it. It's your part in the story. You remember what we sang? Let our lives tell your story. Your mission of must is not like anybody else's. It is patterned after Jesus. So in that way, it's like his. But in another way, it's different because it's the mission of must. It's the part of God's story that you tell. God has an assignment, an appointment. He's got something that has been already before you ever existed planned out for you. That's not a hard concept to grasp because Ephesians 2.10 replicates that idea. Listen to the verses that you already know. Right? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before appointed, before ordained, before the foundation of the world. So, your good works, another way of saying your mission of must. The things that, see, God has appointed things. He has planned things. He has a mission of must for you. It's not the missionaries only. It's not just the Pauls or the pastors. It's all the people. Every one of us have a mission of must in this room. And the question tonight is this. Do you know what yours is? Does yours follow the pattern Is it something that controls your choices, big and small, every single day? Because I want to show you how it worked with Paul. Because he's the perfect, he's about as perfect of a pattern as you possibly could get. All right? So we're going to look at it. And now back to our text in chapter 27. And we're going to read verses 21 through 26. In it, like John 3 and John 4, there's three uses of the word must. And they, they teach us some really important lessons about the appointment that we have, the assignment that God's given all of us. Verse 21 reads, Since they had been without food for a long time, if you read down the text a little bit more, you'll find that that long time equals two weeks. Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. That's the first must. Now, it's not translated in the English. In other words, you must, have, you must have, meaning you really, really should have listened to me. But it's the word must. You must have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. 
Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. Second one. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Second time, so take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Third use, but we must run aground on some island. How is it possible that the mission of must when you're on it, is unstoppable. How is that possible? Here's the answer, and then I'm going to show you and prove it. Because God is sovereign over every aspect of your mission of must. That's how. He's sovereign over it. He's in control of it. Let me tell you what that means. I'm going to break it down, and they're very applicable to your life. But listen, they're only applicable to your life if you're on mission. I believe, if you read the Bible in the New Testament, the assumption is, is that you're on the mission. You're on a mission. So if you read the Bible as only for people who are Christians and it's living their daily life, for people who aren't really concerned about the mission, they're not really consumed by it, they're not really, it's not any big deal to them, they don't really care about it, it's not part of who they are, you're missing out because the Bible assumes that you'd be on it. And these are for, these applications are for people who do that. That's why last words of Jesus are the Great Commission, because he expected that in his church to be the driving force of everything, and everything is in that context, right? So God is sovereign over your mission of must, every aspect. What does that break down to? Let me give you three. God is sovereign over people, and that's crucial in a mission of must. He's, secondly, he is sovereign over problems, Thirdly, he is sovereign over places, all right? And I'll explain why they're all necessary, and we'll unpack them one at a time. So let's do it together. First of all is people, and it says, um, verse 21, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them, meaning the guys who were in charge of this vessel. This is not a small little boat. You'll read down the text. There's 276 people on this boat. So this is no small, this is a freighter, has cargo, it's a ship and a Roman soldier because Paul's a prisoner taking him to Rome. They've boarded on the ship, but this is a big cargo ship, all right? So it says that on this, he has the centurion on this, he has the guy who's running and owning the ship, and then all the sailors and people who are passengers on this boat. He stood up among them and said, you must or should have listened to me. So all these people on there, and there are all kinds of different kinds of people on here. The guy that's directly in charge of Paul, the guy that's directly in charge of the ship, the people who work on the ship, the other passengers on the ship. There are all kinds of people. But here's the one thing you don't know. is Earlier in the chapter, Paul had told them, because he's a very seasoned traveler, he's been on ships many times. In fact, if you read 2 Corinthians 11, this isn't his first go-around with being shipwrecked. This is his third he has been shipwrecked before. He's been in these waters many times before. He's not a newbie. He is seasoned. So he knows it, and he tells them, you're making a huge mistake if you try to travel this time of year in the winter because these storms come and you can't predict them, and they're horrible. They don't listen to him whatsoever. All right? So in your life and in his mission, he's got people. Now remember, 
in the middle of this text, and it's two other times, write them down, 1921 and 2311, the first one says, Paul says in 1921 of Acts, after I visited Jerusalem, I must, here it is, I must see Rome. He had to. It was a must. It's the actual word in the 19, I must see Rome. Now, later on in chapter 23 and verse 11, he's having a really difficult time and he thinks he's in major trouble. And it says, the angel of the Lord comes to him in the middle of the night and says, Paul, don't be afraid. Very similar to this text. In fact, the only two times in Acts where don't be afraid is used, they're both by an angel of God to Paul and they both have musts. Paul says, as you have testified or witnessed for me in Jerusalem, so must you do in Rome. So here's the thing, they match. Paul said, I got to get to Rome in 19. God conveys or communicates the exact same thing. See, they were on the same mission. They were going the same place to do the same thing with the same focus in their life. See, that's the goal that you and I have. Our goal is to be with the right people at the right place at the right time, facing all the problems that we have in life on the mission of must as God moves us along. Paul did exactly that, and God was right there next to him the whole way. Now, see, that's what he wanted to do. But that does not mean that there aren't people who will oppose it. The soldiers didn't believe him. Later on, when this, they, they, that whole thing's going to come off and the ship's going to sink and be wrecked, the soldiers say, here's, here's our principle. If, if the ship goes under, all the prisoners have to be murdered immediately. But because Paul had done certain things, his centurion talks to the other ones and says, no, let's not do it, and they don't. So you got soldiers on there that would want to kill him. you got the storm that would like to kill all of them, right? Let me tell you, Josephus, who's a famous historian who was at the fall of Jerusalem, recorded a few years after this incident when he was on the same ship, not the same ship, but a same like ship in, in a bigger one in a similar storm in a similar area. And he was on a ship that had 600 people and it shipwrecked and only 80 survived. And he was one of them. So when you get in these storms and these ships go down, not a very high percentage of people make it. So his life was being threatened. So you have all of these factors of the, the sailors, the soldiers, you, and all this thing happening, and it's against him. But God said, you must get there. Now let me tell you, on your mission of must, it's unstoppable, but it won't always look that way. It won't always look that way. See, un, unstoppable does not mean that there won't be a detour in prison because Paul was. When he was told he was going to Rome, he had to go to a court, and then he was going on his way to his prison. And also he was beaten in that time, and he was, at times he was stoned on his way there. He was attacked. I mean, you read the story of 2 Corinthians 11, and you'll wonder how Paul ever got to Rome. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with whips three times 40 lashes minus one. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was left for dead. He was attacked. Dangers in rivers, waters, seas, it says. I mean, it's this huge list. But unstoppable doesn't mean untouchable at all. So let me tell you this. If you decide to join Jesus on the mission of must, don't mean or don't think for a second that it means that there aren't problems, there aren't difficulties, there aren't hazards. In fact, perhaps even life-threatening. But here's what you can know. It's unstoppable, not because you won't ever have a problem, but because God is sovereign over all the people that are trying to stop it. See, listen, 
Here's what Paul would say. The mission of must may stall, but it won't ever be stopped. It may stall, but it won't be stopped. So you look at the picture in this God is complete control of every person Paul interacts with. He interacts with groups of people and that can't stop him. He interacts with individuals who tell him the, do the opposite of what he tells them to do. He talks to soldiers. He talks to sailors. He talks to rulers. He talks to people locally, globally, in this trip and others. And all these people do this. He has to appeal to Caesar to get out of the trial. He had all these things, but none of it, no matter how powerful they are, no matter how much position they have, no matter how much power they have, None of it stops. You get to the end of chapter 28, and he's in a hired place, his own cell in a house. He has liberty to go where he wants in the city, and he's in this house, and it says the last Greek word in the text is that he preached the kingdom of God, and here it is, unhindered. In other words, he got to Rome after all that, and he's preaching the gospel while he's in a prison, so to speak, and people are getting saved. Now, that's incredible to me that he actually gets where he's supposed to, and he has all these people, including Caesar, opposing him, and he's given the gospel out. Let me tell you this. It's the greatest feeling in the world to know that you're on a mission, and there isn't one single person you meet, including the president of this United States, that could ever stop it. All conversations with people, all of them, that people have when you're there and you're not there, are controlled by God. I love... Chapter 23, read it sometime. These people, Paul has been taken in custody and they're going to transfer him. And so between the transference, there's 40 Jewish guys. They've all banded together and they're going to kill him before they can take him. That when he transfers the first step out the door, they, have, they said they will not eat until they kill Paul. That, they made a pact. So it just so happens that Paul's sister's son, his nephew, happens to be around the army army barracks and hears all these guys talking, these Jewish guys talking about how they're going to kill him. And so the little boy runs to the, I should say, runs to the barracks and talks to the guy in charge and says, hey, Centurion, I want you to know this is what they're going to do. You better do something about it. Now see, God's in control of that. A little conversation, Paul wasn't there, but his nephew was, and he figured it out, and, God's, and so they put in 200 soldiers on horses, and they made it impossible for anyone to attack Paul. But you know why? Because he had to get to Rome. He had to. It was a must. It was a must. Every conversation, it doesn't matter. God can use little boys. God can use his sister. God can use all kinds of people. Because God says, if you're on mission for me, and you're doing what I want you to do, See, then you are going to make it to where I tell you to go. All people are under my control. Now listen, even the craziest things. So they tell, Paul says to them, and it looks like he's saying, I told you so, because the beginning of our text says, you must have, or you should have listened to me. I told you this was going to be a problem. See, you should, that's not what he's doing to you. That's not what he's doing in the text. He's not trying to say, I told you so. You know what he's doing? He has other things that he needs to tell them, important things, spiritual things, and in the, in, in, First century Greek culture, if you wanted to have a platform to speak to people when you're a nobody, you have to build some credibility. So he's going to speak to people who own a cargo ship, who are big traders, who have money, Roman centurions who have his life in their hands, and he has to be able to say, hey, when I talk, you need to listen. And not only that, but he's going to find out in a vision that God is going to save all 276 of them, but they can't leave the ship 
And they have to be willing to be shipwrecked on an island. All of that has to happen. Now, how in the world is a guy who's a slave in chains going to get everybody's attention to get him to believe that? Because God put problems in his life. He told them to do it at the beginning before they ever set sail, and they didn't listen. And in the end, he was, he was right. He built credibility. He's a seasoned sailor. He's been on there before. And now he, he was right and everybody was wrong and they're going to lose everything. And now what everybody's starting to think is, oh boy, better start listening to this guy. See, see listen, I, why do I say that? You have to see everyone, everyone in your life and everything that happens through the mission of must. You have to see it that way. If your mission of must is to be a success in your career, or to get all this degree, or to have these, if that is your main mission of must, see, you'll be really disappointed, and you won't understand why this happens, why you didn't get that, and why the office politics went out, and why you got sick, and you won't understand why you're in the hospital, and I can't believe I had surgery, and I can't, you won't even grasp any of that. Oh, but when you change the framework from what you're living by, when you're living on the mission of must, see, Paul said, I know they didn't listen to me, But God had a reason why they didn't listen to me then because it was more important that they listen to me now. And God says, I see you had this centurion and see, he's going to listen to you and he's not going to kill you when he should. And, And God says, let me tell you, see all the people I put in your life, you think this is a bad thing and this is a bad person and your boss is all that. See, see this way God said, it's part of the mission you're on. You're going to need that part of the must piece of the puzzle. You're going to need that in your life. So Paul tells them, in the next verse, he says, take heart. Take heart. Same word down in verse 36, the same word in verse 25. It's translated, take heart, encourage. He's going to give them reasons to take heart. Ready? Look at the verse. He's going to introduce each one of them with the word for. Take heart, verse 22. Here's the first, for there'll be no loss of life among you, only the ship. Now let me tell you this. God is sovereign over people and he's sovereign over problems. How in the world, Josephus, 600 people, 80 survived. 520 didn't make it. So out of 276, how in the world can Paul say everyone's going to make it? Can you imagine that? Who in the world's going to believe that one? These guys know these storms in this ship and they know how far they are to land and what the water and the storm is like. They ha- it's, the storm's so bad, they haven't eaten in two weeks and they're throwing every piece of cargo and all the money they were going to make overboard. Do you think they all think, oh yeah, this is a piece of cake. We're all going to make it to shore alive. But Paul says, you will. And they all take heart. Why? Because he's built credibility. They start believing what he says. And he, God says to him, there will be no loss of life. Every single person, all 276 of them, are going to make it. You tell me God is not in control? God is in control and got a little piece of wood for every guy who needed it. He let the guys who could swim to shore make it. And all the people found something to float on until they could get there. God made a way for every single one of them. Now listen, if he can do that, do you think that God can take care of the details in your life? Do you think he can? I think he can. I think he can handle, listen, listen, God says, if you think that's really cool, not one person will be lost. Later in verse down in the text, it says, not one hair of your head will perish. Now, Paul says that a little later in the text, down at the little bottom a little bit, and he got that from Jesus. The only other time that phrase is used is Luke 21, 48, and Jesus says the identical phrase. 
Not one hair of your head will be fall to the ground. Now, that'd be too late for Armando because it's too late for that. But nevertheless, right? In other words, it, it's an idiom. It, what it really means is there's not one thing about you that's going to be hurt. Now, imagine, it's, it's not even that 276 guys made it alive to the shore and survived, but they, they arrived without a scratch. That's the same story, isn't it, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It's not that their fire, their clothes didn't burn or their hair didn't burn. It says when they got out, they didn't even smell like smoke. You know what God says? Listen, listen, listen. You can do what I want you to do at your job. You can be a mission for me in your house and your family. You know why? I have every detail, every detail under control. All of it. You don't have to worry about the money. You don't have to worry about the time. You just need to follow my mission. You do it. You follow it. See, every person, every communication, God is managing your must. So he, every interaction with your boss, every interaction with your neighbor, unsaved people, people you disagree with, see, God has it all under control. Every person, every problem. Let me tell you this. Look at the text. Three times, three times it says the word stood. Verse 21, Paul stood in the midst of people. Paul stood with people. God says to him, later on the text, you know it, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, right? He stood up among them, and he stood among, uh, I'm sorry, he stood among them, and he stood before Caesar, but in between, it says that that very night, the angel of God stood before me. Can I tell you this? You know how you can stand up and be on the mission of must amongst people? You know how you have the courage someday to stand before Caesar? You can stand here and you can stand there because in between God, you know this, God always stands with me. See, that's why you can, he can handle every problem. God is not some distant deity who says you're on this mission of must and you're going to stand before a bunch of guys who don't know you from Adam and won't care so it'll never happen. Paul says, I can stand there and say things. I'll say things. I'll tell them what you ought to do. And he says, and then you're going to, let me see, you're going to stand before Caesar the powerful, most powerful man in the world. Now, how do you stand here and how do you stand there? You know how? Because you have a relationship where you know, God stands with you. Do you know that? Every problem you face, you never face alone. Never. God stands with you. That's how you can stand. Amongst people, amongst with Caesar, you can stand in the most powerful presence of the most powerful man in the world and not be afraid. See, God comes to him. Listen to this. He comes to him in his problems, and he doesn't just say, hey, you're going to stand before Caesar. Don't be afraid. He says this. Don't be afraid, Paul. There is no other time in all of Acts where God talks to Paul other than Damascus Road when his name wasn't even Paul yet that Jesus ever says his name to him. Saul, Saul is the only other one and now he's been changed to Paul. But in this moment, in a crucial part of the mission where it looks like it's all going to fall apart, God comes to him in the middle of the night and says, I'm with you and you're going to make it out of here. And so is everybody else. And you're going to stand before Caesar and you're going to complete your mission of must. And don't be afraid, Paul. See, it's not just a generic help. It's a personal help. He knows you. God is not just so busy with billions of people in the world that he doesn't know you by name and your problems. He knows your problems. 
He knows all of them. He knows the details. He knows what he's asked you to do. And you say, oh, how can I do that? Because I'm with you. Because I stand next to you. I'm right here. You never have. Now listen, later, in fact, the end of Paul's life, read it for yourself, 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18. He says, at my first apologetic, my first defense in front of Caesar, nobody stood with me and everybody forsook me. May it not be laid to their charge. Next verse. But the Lord stood with me. That means, listen, you don't even need anybody else. You don't need, see, to weather the storms and stay on the mission of must, it's nice to have other people, but Paul said, they didn't do it. I'm still going to stand. I can still stand and finish this must, even when they cut my head off. You know why? Because I never stand alone. Because God says, I've got all your problems under control. They can be storm problems, sailor problems, ship problems, survival problems. I got them all under control. Last one. God is sovereign over every place. Now, the last two verses are a little strange because it almost looks like the last one's thrown in there by accident or as an add-on. So take heart, men, verse 25. For I have faith in God that will be exactly as I've been told, but must run aground on some island. Now, what a third must is what? That's not, how is that important? So he tells them to take heart. Why? Because I have faith in God. Now, l- listen to this. Nobody's going to lose their life. We don't even know what this island is, but we're going to make it there. And they didn't even know what the island was. And everybody's going to make it, and the whole ship is going to fall apart. Now, how in the world could you say that? Ready? I have faith in God. See, you can't follow the mission of must with people problems and other kinds of problems if you don't see every place that you're going to and everything in it by faith. Faith in God. Faith in God means this. It may not look right. It may not look favorable. In fact, early in the text, it said when they threw everything overboard, they had given up all hope that they'd ever make it. <laughs> See, they had given up, but Paul didn't. And what was the difference? Faith in God. Not faith in people, not faith in the circumstances, not, no matter what it looked like, no matter what Jesus said. He says, you're going to make it, Paul. And it looked like there was impossible. How can you do that? Not, I'm not making it. Here's what Paul says. You know what his faith, listen to the expression of it. I believe that everything to the down of the detail that God has said exactly will be done. Do you believe that? Do you just kind of quote the verses, but they don't mean anything? You kind of read them for devotions, but they don't really impact you. Here's what Paul said. I believe every single word he says. So I don't worry about the faith, money part of it. I don't worry about who's going to be opposing it. I don't worry about, you know what? You know why? Because I believe that when God says it, he'll do it. And he says to the guy standing there, because this is the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. Right? Meaning, I don't worship the gods of the Romans and they think they, they don't control the sea, obviously. My God does. He's a personal God who knows every problem and he knows every place, including this island that you don't even know exists. Right? So he says... I have faith in God. I believe it's going to happen exactly like God says. So stick with me. So when I tell you the words he says, do them because he's always right. And then he says, but we have to be wrecked on this island. It's a must. Why? Because Publius was on this island and his father needed healed and so did a bunch of other people on the island and they needed to hear the gospel 
And so in this huge, big, I call it the meta-must, the big, huge story that God says, Paul, you know what the biggest thing is? You've got to get to Rome and stand before Caesar. That is the big story. But underneath, kind of like the Zacchaeus story, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He's going to die on the cross. That is the huge mission. But it was also a must. This little must was to see Zacchaeus. Because Publius was important. And so he builds credibility. He goes on the island and it says, they first of all, you got a shipwreck and you put your hand in the wood and the snake who's poisonous bites you. You must be a murderer. That's their conclusion. Time goes by and he doesn't die of the poison and he's still healthy and they say, oh no, you're not a murderer. You must be a god. So after, see, he builds every time. See, what, see how God does it? You're on a mission of must and it looks like, oh, they're going to be a murderer. Then you're in bigger trouble than you were in the storm. These guys are going to whack you right here on this island, right? No, eventually they said, oh, you're a god. And they start welcoming him and giving him stuff and they gave him supplies and he healed people and he had a ministry opportunity. Why? Because it was part of the must. See, it looks like a little detour. It looks like a little offshoot thing and you have to go get a doctor's appointment and you're sitting there in the office where you have a surgery. Why did I have this happen? But if you see it through the lens of the must, you'll know why it had to happen. Paul said this, Philippians 1.12, these things, prison, these things have happened unto me for the furtherance of the gospel so that even every palace guard has heard the gospel. Why was he imprisoned? The gospel. Why do you have surgery? For the gospel. Why did you get sick? Why do you have cancer? For the gospel. Why did you lose your job? For the gospel. Why did you go to the grocery store? For the gospel. Everything's for the gospel. It's the mission of must. And when you see life like that, and every disappointment, every detour, every discouragement, every difficulty, everything in your life, it's got to be used by God for the must. It's the mission. And when you see that, life begins to make sense. And it doesn't seem like God is doing unexplainable things to me. When I'm trying to be good, I get all this bad stuff. That's what Paul could have said, but he didn't. You know why? Because he lived the mission of must. Let me close with this illustration, and I'll be done. Most of you probably know, my favorite movie series is the Lord of the Rings. It's got so many good biblical analogies. Um, if you're on the mission of, of Frodo, it's the mission of Mordor, not the mission of Must. And his job is part of the fellowship. His one job is to get the ring destroyed back in the fires it came from. If you watch him, and I wrote them all down, he had all kinds of people difficulties, people in his own group, people who wanted to take the ring from him, people who didn't trust him, Gollum who tried to kill him, the Nazgals who flew over and tried to eat him. He had he lost Gandalf. He split up from everybody else. His own partner was sketchy sometimes. He, he was fighting enemies. I mean, he had all kinds of problem people, but he never lost focus. He had problem difficulties. He had the ring was affecting him, that it was making him do bad things. Lack of... Um, he had lack of food, swamps, he was stabbed, gigantic spiders, always tired, everyone leaving him behind. He went to Rivendell, Isengard. He went to all kinds of cities. He had to get past the Black Gate. Watch the story. It's a purpose. But you know what his one mission was, his focus? You know what he saw everyone and everything by? The mission. I, I'm not your friend anymore if you try to take the ring. If you try to keep me from this, you're not my friend anymore. If you do this, you're not my friend. And he, you know why? Because all the people, all the places, all the problems, it was the focus. He had one thing, and his whole life was devoted to it. In the back of your Bible, 
There are two pages if you have maps. One's called First and Second Missionary Journeys, and the next one's called Third and Fourth. Not real hard. But you know what these are? You know what these are? They are maps of must. They are maps of must. You know what this is? Look at all the dots. Look at all the red and blue lines. All over boats, waters, land. You know what it is? This is what your life, when you map it out, when you're on the must, might start to look like. They're maps. You know why he went to this place? Because that was the next assignment. You know why he went on this, across the, the ocean, the sea here? You know why he went here? You know why they beat him here? You know, why all these different, you know what this is? This is what your life, your life would look like if you started mapping out your mission if you're on the must. I encourage you. You know what I did this week? Draw a map of your own. Start right where you are and where you live. Ask God, hey, show me the people that you're taking me to. Over the last 20 years of my life, tell me the places I've gone on this mission. Show me the problems that I've had to face. We're not Paul, but we ought to be like him, right? Make a map of must of your own and say, God, not much on my map, but I want that to change. Bring on the people, bring on the problems, bring on the places. Just go with me. Let's pray. Father, help us. You have laid the paradigm, the pattern out for us to follow. May our lives map it. May our lives tell your story. This week, as we finish it out, that we see every person, every problem, every place that you lead us and put us in, it's all part of the mission of must that you have for us. Help us to see that way. Help us to live that way. That you, Jesus, might be seen in us. And we'll thank you for that rich blessing, for it's in your matchless name we pray. Amen.